Father, Lord, we thank you for, just for this, for community, for fellowship, for the body of Christ, Lord. We thank you that we can be a part of something so much greater than ourselves. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would just minister to us, Lord. Meet us where we are and speak your truth into our lives. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Back when, um, back when we were still missionaries, you know, we, we did a lot of traveling back and forth from Belize to the U.S. and to other countries. And, you know, we, had, we have a good-sized family. We have four kids. And so we didn't really travel light, as you can imagine, especially going back to Belize from the U.S. We'd get to the airport, and we'd have our suitcases, and we'd have those yellow and black packing tubs, you know, and everybody had their personal item to take on the plane, pack full of stuff, and then their, their carry-on. And we, we traveled with a lot of stuff. And um, traveling through the airport, there's potential, especially for little ones, to get separated, to get lost. And especially Evangeline, because she was really small then. She's a year old, a year and a half, two years old. And so what she kind of took to doing is I would be walking through the airport towing my carry-on, and she would ride it like a little pony, you know, and she would just, wherever I went, she's along for the ride. She didn't have to figure out where she was going. She didn't have to figure out what terminal we were in, what concourse we were in. She didn't have to figure out what gate. She just, she just rode the carry-on. Wherever I went, she was there too. And that's sort of what being a believer is like. As we walk with the Lord, he does such amazing things. And we're just sort of along for the ride. And I think sometimes we spend way too much time trying to discern the Lord's will for our lives. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about what the Lord's will is, but sometimes it isn't that hard. Sometimes we just need to walk with him. We just need to hold his hand, and he will direct our paths. We're going to look at chapters, um, well, the end of chapter 12 this morning. And last week we started looking at verse 36. We're going to pick up the text there this morning and kind of move forward. And you may remember that this is the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus is just, just, just kind of finishing up this conversation, talking with the people. And um, he's telling them how he's going to be lifted up, talking about how he's going to die. He's telling the people that he's, he's about to be crucified. And he tells the people when he does that, he's going to draw all people unto himself. And that's sort of an interesting turn of phrase there especially in light of the next few verses that we're going to look at this morning. And we, we, this topic comes up frequently. It's come up quite a bit in John, this, this, this tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will. And we usually frame the question like this. Does God choose us or do we choose him? And there's so many verses on both sides. And it just seems like it's a theme that's been recurring as we're going through this gospel. And so this is going to take up a little bit of our time this morning again. He says in verse 36, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. 
So Jesus tells the people, he says, you have the light right here with you. He says, believe in that light. Remember a few chapters back, Jesus stands up there and he says, behold, I am the light of the world. And so here, when Jesus is talking about this, the people would have automatically known what he was talking about. They would have drawn back to that statement he made there. And, um, and he says, look, I'm here with you now. Believe in me while I'm here. And he says, if you do that, you will become sons of light. You'll become children of light. And I think about in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, Paul is talking to the church and he says, when, when you come to Christ, he says, you receive the spirit of adoption. You're adopted in the family of God. You become a child of God. And again, I think of, of James' epistle when he's writing and he calls God the father of lights. John 7, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And so I think the, the logic flows like this. We've been adopted into the family of God. He is the father of lights. Since our new brother is the light of the world, once we enter into that family, we become children of light, Jesus is saying. We become sons of light because we've been adopted into this family. And I love that idea, how now that we're a part of God's family, we are reflecting his light into this dark world. And then Jesus leaves. He makes a statement, he just leaves. It says that he hid himself from the people. And something interesting I see here. So often, I think the church sort of comes off as, as begging people to become Christians. Like, like we're desperate for them to come to faith, in, in a sense. And you see these crusades, and they have 19 altar calls, and they have just the right music, and just the right lighting, and, and none of those things are inherently bad. It just seems like Jesus didn't really care about those things, did he? We see Jesus, he would stand up, he would preach. He would, he would present the truth. And he'd say, believe or don't believe, but this is the message that I'm bringing to you. And in fact, sometimes it almost seems like Jesus went out of his way to make the gospel difficult, didn't he? John chapter 6. If you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Tell us people, look, if you want to be, follow me, you have to take up your cross. And we sort of think that means wear a cross necklace. But he was talking about dying, being crucified. Remember the rich young ruler, he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, all right, cool, that's great. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you can follow me. Jesus didn't make it easy. And he purposely didn't make it easy. He wanted people to understand that there was a cost involved with discipleship. There was a cost involved with following him. And, and I think that that flies in the face of so much that we hear and see today within Christendom. We hear that if you just, if you just give your life to Jesus, things are going to be great. Feathers are going to fall down from heaven. There's not going to be any more struggles. If you just give your life to Jesus, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. 
give your life to him and you're going to have more money to pay your bills and your wife won't be sick anymore and you won't be depressed anymore and you're going to lose 30 pounds and that receding hairline is going to come back down and the Lord's going to bless you with a cruise. Jesus never promised those things. Scripture never makes those claims. Jesus says, look, I am the Messiah. I'm here to pay the penalty for your sins. Believe in me and be saved. Or don't. And he left. He hid himself from the people. Verse 37. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Though he had done many signs before them. Think about all that Jesus did at this point. He'd healed the blind. He'd healed the lepers. He'd healed the lame. He'd healed the woman with the issue of blood. He healed the man with the withered hand. He'd cast out demons. He'd raised at least three people from the dead. He turned water into wine. He, he did that fish thing with the disciples twice. He fed the multitudes at least twice. Walked on water. He calmed the storm. And, and think about this. These are just the recorded miracles, right? John implies that there were many more. John says in chapter 21, verse 25, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. See what John says here? He says, look, this is just the highlight reel. This isn't all that he did. I... I love to watch mixed martial arts. I've been watching fights for a long time, but I find that I don't really have time to watch all the fights I'd like to. So every week I can sort of watch the highlights, right? I can see the, the big finishes. I can see the important parts of the fight. I can, I can see the pieces that, that tell the narrative. And that's sort of what the gospel accounts are. They don't give us a full record of everything that Jesus did. They don't give us every miracle. We don't have every teaching of Jesus. They give us the things that we need to know to understand who Jesus is and what he taught and why he came. And Jesus tells us here, he says, look, Jesus did all these things and none of them were done in secret. These were very public miracles that Jesus worked. And still the people would not believe in him, did not believe in him. Listen, if the feeding of the 5,000, if the raising of the dead, if the walking on water doesn't convince you, there's nothing that will. The people's hearts were hard. And some of your translations there in verse 37 will say, did not believe. Some of your translations say, would not believe. But, but the idea there is they were making a choice not to believe. And as we will see, there were consequences to their unbelief then, just as there are today. Verse 38. So the word by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes 
and harden their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. As we read that, does that catch any of you off guard? As John here is quoting Isaiah chapter 6, he says, who has believed what he has heard? He says, look, the Lord has revealed himself and the people did not believe. In verse 39, he says, therefore, they could not believe. Notice the order of events here. And I think that's crucial for our understanding of, of the context. The Lord revealed himself to the people over and over and over and over. And in verse 37, it says that they did not believe or they would not believe. Now here in verse 39, it says they could not believe. Here's the deal. And we talked about this last week a little bit. The Holy Spirit is drawing all men to the Lord. But eventually, the Holy Spirit in his wisdom says, look, I know that this person is never going to repent. I know that this person is never going to turn from their sins and come to me. And he says, fine. I did all that I could. Have it your way. I'm not going to continue. I'm not going to keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. And, and it says in Romans, Paul talks about that, that the Lord turns people over to their own sinful desires. Look what he says here again in verse 40. He has blinded their heart eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. This is a tough verse, isn't it? This is a tough passage. You know, and many times I've used Pharaoh to explain this. We talked about this last week even, I think. Remember when Moses first came to the Lord, and, or to Pharaoh, and, and said, the Lord said, let my people go. It says, I think three or four times, that Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. And then in the successive times, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I think that we see the example there that, that Pharaoh made up his mind and how he was going to respond to the Lord and the Lord just sort of sealed him in that decision. And, and I heard another pastor talking about this recently. And it's something that I've never heard before and it really changed my thinking on, on this whole idea. And so I'm totally going to steal his idea and run with it this morning. Because on the surface, we look at this and it seems pretty unfair, doesn't it? The Lord hardened their hearts so they couldn't believe and then he sent them to hell for not believing? That doesn't fit with my understanding of who God is in the scriptures. Him saying, you know, I'm, I'm not going to let you believe and then I'm going to punish you for not believing? That's like if I told my boys, you're not allowed to go to church this morning. And this afternoon I said, why didn't you go to church? You're on restriction. Right, that's not a just punishment, is it? And we know from Scripture that God is a just God. Remember, John says in 1 John 1, 9, he says that the Lord is faithful and just. So what's the deal here? Think about this. 
how did Jesus harden the hearts of the Pharisees and the priests? What means did he use to turn, to to push away the Pharisees here? He showed unconditional love to everyone. He showed mercy to people who deserve justice. He showed grace to people who were infinitely undeserving. He healed the sick. He fed the poor. He advocated for the foreigner and the oppressed, for the incarcerated. And here's sort of an example of what I'm talking about. In the last chapter, we saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. This, this, this amazing miracle. He'd been dead for four days. I mean, he, was, he wasn't just mostly dead. He was all the way dead. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, verse 47, and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Earlier in this chapter, in chapter 12, they, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Because anytime anybody saw Lazarus, they remembered that he had been raised from the dead. And they remembered Jesus. And so we see that, that this is the heart of the leaders towards Jesus. Have you ever had someone who just didn't like you? For, for no reason that you can discern. I'm not talking about somebody not liking you because you've been a big fat jerk. Right? That's a different thing. I'm not talking about somebody not liking you because you stole their lunch or their car or their girlfriend or, or whatever the case may be. I'm talking about a situation through, through no fault of your own, somebody just decides that they don't like you. Anybody ever experienced that? And it doesn't matter what you do. You can buy them a Christmas gift. You can buy them lunch. You can go out of your way to help them. And everything that you do, it just makes them hate you more. And I think that that's sort of the idea here. Jesus did nothing but love people and bless people and heal and show grace upon grace upon grace. And it made them hate Jesus all the more. Spurgeon once said this, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. And you've heard that quote before. God's grace, the gospel message, it affects different people differently. Some people hear the message and their hearts are softened. Some people see the grace of God and their hearts are hardened. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The same kindness and patience and grace and mercy that leads some to repentance hardens others to the Lord. And we see that Jesus didn't force the people not to believe. Right? He loved them and blessed them, and that caused their hearts to grow hard. To use a analogy, maybe, from our current political climate. You know, we, as a culture, I think are more divided now than we have ever been politically. Right? If, 
if President Trump or President Obama, for that matter, right, if, if they announced that there was a cure for cancer, the other side of the aisle would accuse them of causing unemployment in the cancer research industry. Right? It's true. If, if, if the president brought about world peace, people would accuse him of just wanting to get rid of the UN. If someone were, if one of them were to invent a, a perpetual motion machine, you know, to, to give us free energy, it's because they're trying to shut down the gas companies. That just, that's kind of how, how, how we are right now. We're so polarized that no matter what one person from one side does, the other person is going to find a reason that it was wrong. And, and that's how the religious leaders were. It didn't matter what Jesus did. He could raise the dead. And they found something that was wrong with that. He could heal a man who had been crippled for decades. And they found an issue with that. It didn't matter what he did. They would find a reason that he was wrong because he was a threat to them. And he was a threat to their way of life. And so remember, they were always looking for ways to trap Jesus, weren't they? John chapter 8 the woman caught in adultery when they presented the coin another time. They're always looking for ways to catch Jesus. And so when it says that the Lord hardened their hearts, this is what he's talking about. It's not like Jesus said, sorry, I know you guys would like to believe, but I really want you to go to hell, so I'm not going to let you. The people refused to believe, and he surrendered them to themselves. He surrendered them to their own decisions. Mark Driscoll used to always say that Jesus doesn't play duck, duck, damn. Right? He doesn't arbitrarily say, you can believe, you can believe, you can't, you can, you can't. On the contrary, Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Be a whoever. Believe. Verse 42. Nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So this is an interesting side note here, isn't it? Many of the authorities believed in Jesus. Many of the religious leaders they, they were convinced by the miracles that the Lord worked. Many of the leading citizens heard the teachings of Jesus and they believed. It says, but because they were afraid of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. And John notes that if they had confessed it, they would be put out of the synagogue. In our minds... I think we can equate getting put out of the synagogue with like getting kicked out of church. And if I were to kick one of you out of Calvary Chapel Edmonds, well, there's 10 more churches within a mile. You might not get to see your friend on Sunday morning, but, but that's about it. Your life wouldn't be upended if you didn't get to come to this church anymore, Right? But if you were kicked out of synagogue in ancient Israel, you were basically kicked out of Judaism. 
You basically were, were kicked out of your faith system. The, and the whole, the whole Jewish community, the whole Jewish, the, the very fabric of society was interwoven with, with synagogue and with, with Judaism in their faith. And so if you were kicked out of the synagogue, you were basically kicked out of society. People wouldn't employ you. People wouldn't buy from your business. People wouldn't acknowledge you on the street. It's noted that shortly after this, after Pentecost, when the church was formed, if people converted to Christianity, their, their family would hold a funeral for them. And they're basically dead to their family. If, if they encountered that family member on the street, it was just like a stranger. There was, there was nothing there anymore. And it says, for this reason, many people believed, but they were afraid to make that faith public. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. John notes that the people, while they believed, they were more concerned with what men thought of them than what the Lord thought of them. I get that we all need to be respected by our peers. I get that generally we all want to be thought well of by other people. Right? Most normally functioning people would prefer to be loved rather than hated. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong with, with wanting people to like you. There's nothing wrong with preferring to be loved rather than hated. The issue is when seeking the approval of men sets you in opposition to the Lord. And you know what? One second after you die, you're not going to care in the slightest what men thought of you, what other people thought of you. One second after you, in reality, even before you die. But the only thing that's going to matter after you die is what did the Lord think of you? And most of us here are rational people. And if we just think about it, right, if we do the math, this makes sense, right? 70 years of men's approval on this earth and an eternity separated from the Lord are 70 years of some people not liking you, Maybe you suffer some legitimate persecution. Maybe we even die for your faith. But what is that in light of God's approval of your life? What is that in light of eternity? And when we look at it rationally, the choice is obvious. Of course we would rather have God's approval in eternity than man's temporal approval. But it's so hard. To live that out sometimes, isn't it? We understand that God's approval is so much more important than man's approval. But so often we seek man's approval at the expense of God's approval. What do you care about more? What do you care about most? What men think of you or what the Lord thinks of you? Jesus cried out and said, verse 44, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 
I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So Jesus stands before the people and he makes this declaration. He says, look, if you believe in me, it's not really me you're believing in. You're believing in the Father because he's the one who sent me. He says, look, you you see me here, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus has made statements like this before in the Gospels. And what happened? Every time he made these statements, the Jews rose up against him. They wanted to take action against him. They wanted to kill him. And so I think Jesus here at this point has realized that his time has come. And it's almost like he's, he's sort of goading them to take action against him. Right? Here I am, proclaiming to be God. What are you going to do about it? If you've seen me, you've seen God. And he goes on, he says, look, you guys are lost. You're in the dark. You're, 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 you're groping around blindly. But if you believe in me, you'll become a child of the light and you will not remain in darkness any longer. Reminds me of one of my favorite passages. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, and in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. I like the um, New Living Translation here. It says he has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And, And this idea is just... It's interwoven throughout this whole passage, passing from death to life, passing from from darkness to light, adoption into the family of God, this this new citizenship we have in the kingdom of heaven. And as we close in a few minutes, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if you haven't done so already. We're going to finish this passage first. In verse 47, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is an interesting verse, given the fact that in verse 31, Jesus is saying that judgment is coming. And in other places, the scripture makes it so clear that Jesus is definitely going to judge the world. So, Is he or isn't he? I talked about this before, and I think it has to do with time frames. If Denise and I are getting ready to go to dinner, and we're running late, I might tell Denise, let's just go. I'm not going to take a shower. And I'm not saying that I will never take a shower for the rest of my life. I'm just saying I'm not going to take a shower at that moment. And I think that that's the key. Jesus' primary reason for coming, the primary reason for the incarnation was not to bring judgment. 
It was to come to die to save the world from the condemning effects of sin. And we need to understand that. Jesus says, look, if you reject me, I'm not going to strike you down right now. Right? The ground's not going to open up and swallow you like it did to, to Korah and Dathan and Abiram. He says, that's not why I came to bring judgment. I came to save the world. But if you reject me, you're judging yourself. And, and I hope that you guys understand that this morning. God didn't create hell for humanity. And, and God doesn't, in a sense, God doesn't send anyone to hell. God honors our decisions to go there. People who reject the Lord go to hell because they reject the Lord. Look what he says in the very next verse. Verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge them on the last day. I heard a story once that there was this well-known art museum in Europe and they had this, this show that they were doing of, of all the great Renaissance masters. And tourists would come and, uh, day after day and they would look at the different pieces and, you know, that one's just not that great. You know, I just, I don't think that that's his best work. And, and these tourists would come in and they were constantly critiquing these works of art. And, and one day... The guard just couldn't handle it anymore. These foreign tourists coming in, critiquing all these great European masters. And he said to them, he said, look, these works of art aren't on trial. You're on trial. Right? Your opinion of these masters, it's more a reflection of who you are than, than, these, than the Mona Lisa or, or whatever it is. And that's sort of the idea here in verse 48. Rejecting Jesus doesn't really say anything about Jesus, but it says a ton about who we are. And when we reject him, we're choosing to bring judgment upon ourselves. For I have not spoken on my own authority, verse 49. But the Father who sent me has given, who has sent, sorry, my Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment to say and, to say and, oh my gosh, I'm having a hard time reading this verse. To, let me start over in verse 49. <laughs> For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. There we go. I knew I could get it eventually. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John here is closing out chapter 12. And he says, look, I'm not just some guy up here giving you my own opinion. My Father sent me here with this commandment to do and say, wherever he tells me to. He says, everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm saying, it's because the Father told me to. And then he says this, his commandments are eternal life. And I sort of want to close on this thought. 
Remember back in chapter 6, we alluded to earlier, when Jesus tells the disciples to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, and almost everybody left. Only the 12 stayed. And remember, Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you guys going to leave me as well? And in around verse 68, 69, Peter looks at Jesus and he says, where else can we go, Lord? For you have the words of eternal life. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus is proclaiming the words of the Father. Jesus is proclaiming the words of eternal life. And as we said earlier, here's, here's the heart of the message. We are sinners. We were born into sin. And we continue to choose to sin. We're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And there's a cost. There's a a penalty attached to sin. Paul says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus is sort of the wild card here. We've all sinned against a holy God. We all deserve to be punished for our sins. But Jesus came and he took our place. He bore our punishment, your punishment, my punishment on the cross. Jesus died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. And we all, each one of us, have equal free access to Jesus, to the cross. We all have equal access to this free gift of eternal life. And the burden lies on each one of us. Will you choose to believe or will you choose to deny? And those are the only two options. You believe Jesus or you reject who he says that he is. I'd encourage you to believe. If you haven't made that decision to serve Jesus, to follow him, to turn from your sins, man, do it today. This morning, the Lord is presenting you with an opportunity to believe. Will you do it? Will you call on the name of the Lord and be saved? If the Lord is is speaking to you this morning, don't quiet that voice. Respond to it and believe. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your for your grace, Lord. For your unending grace. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we would respond to your grace like, like wax, Lord, and that our hearts would be melted, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here who has a hard heart and and hasn't come to you, Lord, that you would just break up that, break up that hard ground, Lord, that your gospel would penetrate and that you would work and that you would bring about salvation. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, as we continue in worship, I just continue to, to pray that you guys would do business with the Lord. If you need prayer for anything, 
myself or one of the elders is available, we'll be on the side. If you want somebody to pray with you to, to receive the Lord into your life, man, we would, it would be our honor to do that with you guys. But just whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to this morning, I encourage you guys to do business with God.